Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the first 2021 edition of Grant Slants after a minor hiatus due to something called life, uh, getting a job, just kind of really figuring out what I'm doing. And uh, we have some free time now, so we are back. Today is Saturday, October 23rd. The Raiders play the Philadelphia Eagles tomorrow in Las Vegas. And today we're going to be talking mostly offense, just kind of where we're standing six weeks into the season and moving forward. I mean, it's been a little more chaotic of a year than we're used to at this point. I'm usually at the first half of the season, things are going fairly swimmingly, and but uh, we've had some drama this year. So we're going to cover that and just a couple call-outs to guys on the offense that deserve it. So with that being said, let's get into it. Coming into the Week 7 game against Philadelphia Eagles, Derek Carr currently sits at 1,946 yards, a 64% completion, 64 completion percentage, 10 touchdowns, and 4 interceptions. The yards are incredible. He was leading the league through the first two weeks before the Raiders kind of started to fizzle for a minute. Um, I mean, I'm just going to dive into it. Uh, we'll be addressing a certain head coach throughout the show. And I don't really know how much of the Raiders uh, two-game skid was because of that drama. I don't know if there was rumors in the locker room that, hey, something's going to drop soon. And that kind of hurt the team morale. Because in those two losses to the Chargers and the Bears, the Raiders did not look like themselves. You know what that's like. You know when the Raiders are looking like themselves. It's fiery, big shot plays, like flying to the ball. They just look energetic. And in these two losses to the Chargers and Bears, they really didn't look like that. They looked deflated. They looked kind of bored almost. Like they just seemed disinterested. And that's kind of how these Raiders' losses go. Very rarely do the Raiders lose a game when they're playing well. I know they did uh, last year, I believe, to the Chiefs when they gave Patrick Mahomes more than a minute to drive down the field and score a game-winning touchdown. But most of the time, these losses that we see are not hard-fought losses. They're kind of disappointing. And there's there have been circumstances where this could be caused from trauma. So I don't know how in-depth that was. The Chargers were playing very well at the time. The Bears' loss was the one that kind of confused me because that was our former coach's final game so I don't know if there was something in the locker room beforehand or whatever but either way they did not look great against the Chargers and the Bears that being said I want to kind of dial it back in and kind of continue touching on our offensive targets the Raiders leading wide receiver or pass catcher through six weeks is Henry Ruggs. Didn't really see this coming after a slow start to his NFL career last season uh, and with Darren Waller kind of hogging a lot of Ruggs, Renfro, Zay Jones, if you want to get there. I mean, just hogging, hogging everybody's targets. And now we're starting to see Derek Carr facilitate the football. This may make it feel like Darren Waller is having a down year. We'll get into that later, but this is the best case scenario for the Raiders. 
sure, it's great for your fantasy team, for whatever, when Darren Waller's getting 15 targets a game, 10 catches, 100 yards, and a touchdown. But that's so easy for defenses to pick apart and kind of take advantage of. We saw that in the Patriots game last year. Derek Carr was incredibly dependent on Darren Waller going into that game. And Bill Belichick, the wizard he is, completely took Darren Waller out of the game. Just doubled him, pressed him at the line, gave him nowhere to work and operate his game, which is usually one-on-ones against linebackers or some bigger safeties if teams are feeling adventurous. So when Derek Carr starts to build faith and trust with some of these other guys, it becomes a completely different ballgame. If you spend two guys on Waller, you can't spend, you probably can't spend two guys on Rugs, two guys on Renfro. You can't really double anybody else. And that's when Derek Carr is going to beat you with these other guys that he's established trust in. And that was never a thought in my mind going into the season. I mean, no one cares about fantasy, but I spent up on Darren Waller in a lot of drafts, took him in the second round a couple times, expecting very similar results, expecting 10 targets a game like we saw in week one. And then, I mean, you can't really say Darren Waller fell off necessarily, but he's definitely just not playing up to the production of what we've seen before. And again, that's fine for everything but fantasy. If you have Darren Waller, what can you do? You still have a very reliable tight end who's going to get looks every game, but you're not going to get wide receiver to Darren Waller. You know, like he's not, that's not in the game plan right now. And that is completely fine because the Raiders are four and two. And just to recap the Raiders four and two season uh, wins over the Ravens, Steelers, Dolphins, and Broncos. Um, I, the Ravens, Ravens and uh, Dolphins, man, those were two games that we knew were not going to be easy victories. But just to see them come the way they did was just kind of stressful. I mean, I owned a Fitbit. I haven't used a Fitbit in a while. But uh, I think I need to get one just to make sure my heart's okay during some of these games. They are the cardiac kids at times. But then other times, they kind of can beat average to decent teams. I mean, I wouldn't say the Steelers are bad right now, but that was a pretty convincing victory compared to the Ravens and Dolphins. And then the Broncos was, I mean, yeah, the Raiders won by 10, but that never felt close. The Broncos recovered an onside kick, scored a touchdown to bring it to 10, and it was a it was a three score game throughout even the scoreboard or just the vibe of the game. You knew Denver wasn't winning that game very early on, and that coincidentally was Rich Bisacha's Bisicchia, whatever you want to call it. Um, the Raiders' new interim head coach. That was his first game against Denver Broncos. So in Denver, division rival, crazy drama potential division of the locker room. Coach Rich comes in. I don't know what he said. I don't know what he did. There are many reports coming out that he is one of the most well-respected, one of 
the most ready to lead coaches in that locker room. And I think Mark Davis and the Raiders did a great job promoting him to interim head coach. Beating Denver was obviously a huge test, but in these games where you see a head coach lose his job and an interim come in, that first game tends to have a lot of pop. It's, hey, let's win this for coach. Let's show coach what he's working with. And you get into this false sense of confidence because your team looked potentially better than they normally do. We saw it when uh, Matt Patricia left the Lions. That first game, the Lions won. After his first game gone, the Lions won. And there was this like, oh, this is what the team can be. But there's just that little extra boost of confidence, energy, wanting to prove yourself. And then that kind of fades. So coming into this game against the Philadelphia Eagles, that is Coach Rich's next biggest test. I mean, this is his biggest test right now. Denver, not a great team, not really going to blow you out of the water. I mean, I never thought the Raiders would be too far out of that game. I mean, Denver's defense has looked good, and the Raiders kind of just exposed that, I guess. So maybe Denver's just not good. They played the easiest first three weeks of the season uh, and went 3-0 and just like the Raiders. But when you compare the teams, both of our team, both of these teams beat, it's not really fair to compare those two 3-0 and records. And the Raiders proved that, jumped up 4-2. Denver now sits perfectly average, but trending heavily, heavily downward. And we kind of start to see a split in the AFC West. Chargers are up. The Chiefs are middling. I mean, the Chiefs are the Chiefs. They have the talent to win just about every single game going forward. But there's something something strange as a foot at the Circle K out in Kansas City. And the Raiders are Raiders and Chargers sitting pretty at four and two. That being said, I really feel like the Raiders going forward have an incredible chance to continue this stretch. I think over their next four games, I think a three and one record is possible. Obviously, Sunday they have the Eagles, bye week, then they go at the Giants, home against the Chiefs, home against the Bengals. Now, there are good teams in here, and I'll get into the Eagles in a minute, but the Giants have talent. I mean, the Giants aren't a horrible team. The Chiefs are obviously the Chiefs. Uh, Whether they're struggling or not, they showed us against Washington that all it takes is a half or a quarter and a couple minutes to really blow teams out of the water. And then the Bengals, who are, their defense is looking increasingly good. Joe Burrow finally getting comfortable. Um, I still disagree with not taking Panay Sewell uh, in their draft pick, but he went to the Lions, so second team, let's go. But that was still weird to me, especially after a rookie quarterback tearing his ACL. I don't know why it was let's go get more offense but it's working and i don't think the bengals are going to be that sort of that sort of cakewalk team that we're used to seeing this is a better bengals team and 
I don't I still think that the Raiders are very good. Their offense is firing. Their defense looked phenomenal against Denver, which Teddy Bridgewater, say what you want, three interceptions and a forced fumble. When this team's clicking, we saw it in Arrowhead against the Chiefs last year. When this team's clicking, they can beat anyone or just about anyone in the league. Obviously, Tampa's going to be tough. I think Buffalo is starting to emerge as a tougher team, but after their loss last week, I mean, it's not completely undeniable to say that the Raiders could beat the Bills too. I mean, the Titans haven't looked great, and they stuck it out against the Bills. And, yeah, I mean, it doesn't feel like there's a team upcoming on the schedule that the Raiders don't have a chance in. And that's really all you can ask for right now. It's obviously a turbulent season. Um, it's just, it's not, we're not in a bad spot right now. The Raiders really aren't. They have, this was the part of the season I kind of wrote articles about where it was, we got a kind of a tough stretch at the beginning, tough stretch at the end, but we, just like an Oreo, we have an incredibly delicious middle where see the season will be made or not. I mean, that's all it really comes down to. And it all comes back to Coach Rich and the direction he takes this team. He's He obviously seems incredibly well-respected by the players, by other coaches. I mean, social media loves this guy. He brings his family to his first game. I don't know. I think he is he is getting to the point of lose, shedding that interim tag and, I mean, requesting a longer termed contract and as of right now i haven't seen a single thing that makes me think otherwise i can't sit here and say i don't want him as my head coach obviously we're one game in this is one we've just seen the first game of the coach rich experience and but again he's done everything right this game against Philly with less buzz around a new coach winning for coach. This is kind of what can make or break a deal for him. If the Raiders come out pumped up, excited, ready to win. I have a hard time arguing against giving him a multi-year deal. Obviously if they come out flat, I don't think he's written off as a coach. Philadelphia maybe two and four, but they have talent, they have explosive potential on offense and not the worst defense in the league. It wouldn't feel good if the Raiders lost. It wouldn't be a moral victory, even if they lost in overtime or on a game ending field goal. It wouldn't feel good. So they're not they're not at that level where you can kind of say, Well, we hung with Tampa or we hung with whoever, we hung with Arizona, which I mean would be a great sight to see at this time, but that's not happening. We get a different bird team. But as the saying goes, any given Sunday. But this isn't really a any given Sunday type game. It doesn't feel like that. I think this will be a great test for our defense with the way Jalen Hurts can throw the ball and the way Philadelphia can score, but again, I feel like the Raiders should win this game, and I 
don't particularly think it's going to be incredibly close. But the Raiders do come into this game as only three-point favorites at home, which when it comes to sports betting, you usually get two or three points just for being the home team. So according to this, Vegas sees it as a close game. And, but frankly, I, I don't. I think the Raiders can run away and hide with this game if their defense shows up. And I mean, it's kind of redundant to say if the team shows up because if the team doesn't show up, then obviously I don't think they win the game. But if the defense continues playing the way they have and the offense continues rolling, I don't think the Eagles are gonna going to be much of a test. I just think it's it's I would love the Raiders minus five, minus six. I think the Raiders win by a touchdown here at least. And that's kind of where we stand against Philly. Philly looks like they're traveling well. Uh, I just saw a packed plane full of Eagles fans from Philadelphia to Las Vegas. So that's kind of the issue with living in a or playing in a tourist city is I mean you you get off work Friday, you head on down to Vegas, hit the casinos, do whatever you want to do, go see a show. I know um some sort of EDM concert or venue festival is out there right now. So I mean there's a lot of foot traffic. I don't know how many people are going to both the festival and the Raiders game, but uh, that's a tough weekend to get through. Oh my God, I I went to Faster Horses out here in Michigan and I, at work for the next week, I was just dead. I couldn't imagine going to a festival, just not sleeping and then going to a Raiders game and coming back home and having to face reality Monday. But that's neither here nor there. The point is, teams are going to travel to Las Vegas. There's not going to be that black hole feel like they got in Oakland, where opposing fans tended to not go. Just They, they just wouldn't go to the game. It's one of those things you just kind of say, you know what, I value my safety over going to a game. <laughs> and um, that was kind of the allure to Vegas, was, or that was the allure to Oakland, was... You, if you show up in silver and black, you show up in the team colors, you are going to be welcomed by 95% of that stadium. And we're not seeing that. We're seeing other teams make noise, get loud in Las Vegas. And obviously, it's kind of one of those what-can-you-do situations, but I personally don't like it. I just I miss the actual black hole. I know we have the Death Star, and it's cool, and it's new, and all that, and there's not rats in the vending machines, allegedly. Um, but it's just not the same feel. And watching some of these games, first season back with fans in Vegas, it really breaks my heart for the city of Oakland. And I never really thought I'd be getting all kind of sappy here, but those those Oaklandites, I don't know what you actually call people from Oakland, but those from Oakland and the surrounding area, just they showed up and they made it 
they made it possible to not allow fans from other teams to get tickets just by buying them and consistently going and making the Oakland Coliseum a intimidatingly dangerous place to be. Uh, I know back when I was living in California, my dad would tell me the people that had uh, Chargers tickets or anything, even in L.A., even in San Diego, the Raiders ran that. The people that had the Chargers season tickets would sell them uh, when the Raiders came to town. So I don't think the fan base or the crowd attendance is really a huge crucial factor because you see the flyovers, you see the fans, that's still a majority silver and black crowd, but it's not 95 to 5%. It's more 80, 20, 75, 25. And that's kind of a bummer. It just is. I mean, you're going to get that in Vegas. It's an incredible backdrop, but it's a dome stadium. So you can't really see anything. So, I mean, I get it. There was money there. I'm not going to get into the business of that because, honestly, a businessman would have a hard time not moving to Vegas. But you just have to write off that level of fan support moving forward. And my last topic of the day kind of comes on down to what I mentioned earlier at the start of the show, not necessarily off seasons, but just not the same level of productions from two of the Raiders offensive stars in Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs. Darren Waller has 378 receiving yards through six games and two touchdowns, which in the grand scheme of things, if this was Darren Waller's first year, he is a great asset and incredible tight end and a great athlete. But from what we've seen from Waller, that's a little down. But again, the only thing you can complain about, if you're complaining about Darren Waller's production, it's because you have him in fantasy. Because the Raiders are 4-2, and two, Derek Carr's facilitating the ball to <laughs> Kenyon Drake, Henry Ruggs, Hunter Renfro. He's just getting some of our other guys involved, and that's what makes this offense special. That's what makes this intimidating, the ability to beat anybody is the lack of relying on Darren Wall. So again, if you hear people complaining, I don't think they necessarily are speaking from a real-life football mind. I think it's all coming from fantasy. And speaking of that, um, another potential second-round pick, Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs, in his first two seasons, despite not playing a 16-game season, has recorded a thousand rushing yards in both of the seasons through six games, obviously some injuries and just, just for the sake of averages, Josh Jacobs has 175 rushing yards. The Raiders are almost abandoning the run and coming from all of you that have watched Josh Jacobs in his first two seasons. That's kind of a bummer. Because Josh Jacobs is fun to watch. He's hard to tackle. He's a great running back. And I'm not saying the Raiders wasted the pick because they're finding they're just finding more success in the pass. But 175 yards through six games does not put you anywhere close to 1,000 yards. Uh, I mean, 
just quick math off the top of my head, that's less than 600 yards in the season. That's not RB1 material, but again, the Raiders' offensive line is probably a vast majority of the reason why Jacobs is not having the season he's had, or he's had prior. But he also has four touchdowns. So, again, that's a little more fantasy, but it shows you that they're st- they still trust Josh Jacobs to get a yard, to get two yards, to get into the end zone, to get a first down. And that's kind of more what he's being predominantly used as, is a short yardage, hey, we just need a yard type back as opposed to a running on first and second down back, which, again, the Raiders are 4 2. So I'm not going to complain, but you know what? What can you do if it's if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And unfortunately for a lot of Raiders fans, maybe even some Alabama fans, just Josh Jacobs fans, passing the ball heavily is it ain't broke. So we can't really start implementing the run again, and that's another thing where our previous coach kind of got into against the bears and at times against the chargers where it just felt like he was trying to establish the run for far longer than necessary. It was at times a running onslaught when they, he just, Josh Jacobs just wasn't getting anything going. And it feels like that has kind of been written. It's kind of solid that as of right now, There's not going to be this wearing down of defensive line, of linebackers, where you kind of see with Derrick Henry, where he'll start out with a two-yard rush, a three-yard rush, three-yard rush, four-yard rush, and it starts, he just starts wearing these guys down. I don't think Josh Jacobs is there. I don't think the offensive line is there. And I think if passing's working, passing's working. I don't think you can go after that in any sense of the word. And I mean... While we're talking about down players, I do just lastly want to talk about a player that's having a very good season. And for you fantasy junkies out there, he's almost garnering respect to be started, at least in a flex spot. And that is Hunter Renfro. 341 yards through six games. I mean, he's 37 back of Darren Waller. If that doesn't show you how much Hunter Renfro has grown from being our third and Renfro, which I kind of took to mean Renfro and third because he didn't really do much until we needed a little shifty 10-yard play and then we'd go to Hunter Renfro. Now he's becoming a wide receiver two to Henry Ruggs and, I mean, at times a wide receiver three to Brian Edwards, but they're all kind of in this mix where you can't pick one of these three and double them. You can, but you're going to leave somebody open. And this is where I was going when I wrote the articles I wrote at the start of the season saying it's going to be hard for defenses to lock down four targets. I expected a bigger season from both Ruggs and Edwards and obviously Renfro, but at the time I didn't consider that everybody else having a better season. And Darren Waller has a, again, slightly down season. I mean, his targets have, like, if you're going to spread them out, the targets have to come from somewhere. And they're 
mostly coming from Waller now, and again, that's fine. Stop thinking I'm getting upset that Darren Waller isn't putting up 20 points for any reason other than fantasy. Because, again, if the Raiders were 2-4, and four, I'd probably be a little more upset because we've seen that just overloading Waller works a lot of the time. He's a free athlete. He's just he's a wide receiver with a tight end build, and it's not fair. So I think going forward, you might start to see a little more Waller involvement when the team's down or, I mean, in short yardage plays. There's I feel like Darren Waller becomes a little more situational as opposed to the first look every single time. And that is so exciting because it was frustrating watch the, watching Henry Ruggs sprint up and down the field the entire game. Streak, streak, post, corner, maybe a slam, something, and just not get looked at. And now he's actually running set plays with the Raiders and not just streaks, although he has had incredible success with his streaks this year. He's running ins, outs, slants digs, anything. He's running real routes. He's not just a deep threat. And that's where you get into some trouble. Because if Derek, if Derek Carr can start hitting Henry Ruggs on some slants, he is gone. You, He is very hard to catch, as we've seen. And I just really like the direction this Raiders team is headed. Obviously, being at 4-2, it's easy to say that. But it this looks sustainable. Maybe the deep throws to Ruggs aren't necessarily a sure thing. Every week, it might be windy. There might be better defense. Derek Carr might not throw it perfectly like he has so many times this year. And that's fine. You look elsewhere, you get rugs involved in other ways. There are ways to get him involved other than a deep threat. And we're starting to see that this year. And if that is not an incredible step in progress, I don't know what is. Because there were talks of trading rugs. I mean, obviously, the main discussion was he's not getting anything past a rookie deal. And now it's like, well, if we can keep this guy around for 10 years, we might have a, a mini Tyree kill on our hands. And with the way Derek Carr throws the ball, they could put up very similar numbers. So to wrap up, I love the direction the Rays are heading. I love when they show up. I don't like how quickly you can tell that they're not there that day. But this, what I really want to hammer home quickly is this game against the Eagles. We can come back, look at it, analyze it. At the end of the day, I think the Raiders win by a touchdown. But I think this says even more about Coach Rich. And I think if this is as dominant of a win as I think it's going to be, I think there's a, I think his case is all but solved or all but written, whatever you want to call it, for shedding that interim tag. I would be thrilled for Mark Davis to meet him down on the field and say, come up to my office tomorrow and let's work out a real deal. Let's get you leading this team for the next couple of years. Because when a team starts six and four, six and three, how whatever it is for the last two years, and then falls off. They're showing you they have talent. They're showing you they have the ability to win games and pull things out of a hat, whatever you want to say. 
And then the fall off is you have to blame some amount on the coaching. And I'm not exactly pointing fingers, but we had the same coach both years that the Raiders fell off in the second half of the season. And I don't know if that's a, hey, guys, we have a 70% chance to make the playoffs, so we're going to take it light and then completely falling off, or who really knows? Nothing has really ever come out to say why the Raiders are doing this, why the Raiders are struggling. And so you you have to start pointing fingers at maybe the guys that aren't on the field running routes, making plays. So with my last send-off for the day, I would love to see Coach Rich get signed to a long-term deal within the next 10 days. I mean, over the bye week would be a great time to do it. Just really let everything settle in. I know I'm jumping the gun incredibly early because he has only played one game against a lackluster Denver team. But who do you want more? Who Do you want the guy that's come up with the Raiders that has put his heart, sweat, and tears into this team? Or do you want to go pull somebody? I, I have a hard time leaning away from Coach Rich right now. And again, 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 it's one game. I'm clearly way out in front of this, but that's my take right now. Just from what I saw against Denver, that could have been the flattest game you've ever seen the Raiders play. And it was actually their most dominant victory of the season. So with that, this has been the first 2021 episode of Grant Slants. We are back, establishing a schedule next week, and extend Coach Rich.